Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill of other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Recording live from Jake's Sports and Spirits in the historic Rhino District of Denver, Colorado, it's the Pickaxe Podcast, presented by Denver Stiffs. Now, here is your host, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast, a brand new podcast presented by Denver Stiffs. I'm your host, Adam Mates, and seated across from me is one of the best NBA writers on the web and one of my mentors, Matt Moore. Matt, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Adam. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. We're actually not recording at Jake's Sports and Spirits. We're recording at my house in northern Denver. But uh, Jake's is our sponsor, and it is one of the best sports bars in all of Denver, located at 3800 Walnut Street in Rhino, Denver, Colorado. They've got every sports package. They've got great food. They've got happy hour every night of the week. They've got tons of bar, uh, tons of beers on tap, as well as uh, uh, you know spirits of every type. So check it out, Jake Sports and Spirits, thirty eight hundred Walnut Street. Matt, it's really exciting to have you on on the show. You were one of the people when I started the podcast. I was thinking I can't wait to have Matt on, and I kind of like had to work up to you. So. And then it took me like three weeks to become available because I've been doing <laughs> nonsense as I've been running around with my head cut off because I had like – I got – I was all like, oh, Adam's doing a podcast. This will be exciting. I'm going to come on and it's going to be great. And then there was – I had a baby. I didn't have – my wife had a baby and then like all this stuff happened and then there was Summer League and then Kevin Durant did a thing. And I just, I've been like catching up with all these engagements that people have been like, hey, I want to do this with you. I want to do that. I'm like, yes, Absolutely. At some point in time, <laughs> this will happen, so I'm very excited that I can actually get out here and do this with you. And the NBA is so funny because, like, after the draft, it's like, okay, well, now it's things die down a little bit. And Why? you always forget. It's like a month after the draft. Now things are starting to die down, kind of. I've been doing this now yeah. for nine years, and I've been doing it professionally for six, and I still had to have the conversation with my wife. <laughs> I still had to have it. Like, I got, at least I got ahead of it this time to be like, okay, look, I know you think that after the finals are done – that it's over. I got the draft in four days, and then I got free agency, and Kevin Durant's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I was like, if you can just get to, like, July 10th, most everything will be done, and then we can carry on with, like, we can have a summer. It's tough because she's a teacher, and so, like, I only get between July 10th right. and August 23rd for us to have, like, a summer, but I, I just kind of tell – I had to tell her. I was like, no, like, this – it just happens constantly. It's one of the reasons why the league has talked about moving – the draft back to the first week of July, and I'm like, 
don't mm. don't drag this out more. I don't like we right. already have very little time. Like don't extend this. Let's not make it worse. As a fan, I kind of like it. I mean, I think as a writer it's tough yeah. and as like a family person it's like even tougher. But as a fan, I kind of like it because the finals are so exciting and then you go right into the next year. Like Every team would kind of be down, except for the team that won it, which this year was Cleveland, would be kind of down, except for the draft happens right after that, and it's immediate reset of like, okay, it's next season. Let's get excited for it. On some level, I think it'd be okay stretching it out if they could do it effectively. Like, one, I would trade it if they were able to give me July 4th, if they were just like, nothing's going to happen on oh, July yeah. 4th. No news. Yeah, that's no reporting, true. Nothing. Just give me July. Let me go watch fireworks with my family and have a cookout. If <laughs> right. they could just do that to me. But instead, I got Kevin Durant made his decision on July 4th. <laughs> Screw you, Kevin Durant. But if they did that, it'd be okay. Because, well, part of it, though, is I think it would be good to have a little bit of a ramp down time. Because like Cleveland got almost no real saturation of their moments. Like They didn't really get to celebrate. Yeah, that's true. Because it was like. Immediately, it was like the draft, and then, nope, Kevin Durant. And so now the Warriors are back on top, and the Cavs are like, but we just won the title. You know, though, I know enough Cavs fans that they're doing okay. They're, they're <laughs> all right. They're they don't even know that the draft happened or That's any of true. that. They're, they're still basking they in it. One. I've been actually making this argument that uh, they should lo- and purposefully try and lose in the second round. Hmm. To never, just like, don't ever give the Warriors another shot. Mm. Like, have the last one be <laughs> LeBron came back, right. Kevin Love shut down Steph Curry. Kyrie hit the game winner and just be like, never give them another shot at, at catching them and just be like, well, you know, like have a fake injury yeah. and just be like, well, you never be as at full strength. Right. <laughs> Pull the old Boston 2009 thing. Um, we're going to get to some NBA stuff later, but actually this isn't something I had and I do want to get your opinion on it. And that is LeBron's legacy going forward now. How important is it for him to beat this Warriors team? Or is he like 100% off the hook, at least for next season, where there's no pressure because – he beat the super team, and they got super. I think he's going to face the scrutiny again. I wish it wasn't true, but I think here's the thing. In 2012, he put together what I consider to be his, be- his right. best season. Yeah. Um, you can argue 2013 and 2009 Correct. are the other candidates for that. He shot better from three in 2013. Um, he was more uh, – he had a higher level of production overall in 2009. 2012 to me is the best season he ever had because he shot just well enough from three-point range and he incorporated the post, and that was his best offensive season. There was no slippage there. Yet, what did we see in 2014? Like, oh, he's cramping up, and oh, it, you know, didn't win the title. And then 2015, it was, oh, dude, like, he's been overshadowed by Steph Curry, and that was the entire story of 2016 was, like, the rise of Curry. And there were so many columns written about how Curry had surpassed him and was going to leave him in the dust, and then obviously he had this run to cement it. But, like, if they get back next year and they lose to this Warriors team, which is just an unfair collection of talent, again, it will be, well, you know, now he's three and four in the – in the finals, and so that's bad somehow. And I the guess. other thing is, like, as much as we're all aware that we're all prisoners of the moment, we still become prisoners of the moment. Like, every year we talk about, you know, right now it does have that feeling of, well, he's playing with house money, but I guarantee next April, when they're down two games to zero and it feels like Cleveland should have won one of those games, we're going to be like, well, what happened? They should have had, it should be 1 1 right now. Here, I think, though, is, is where the difference comes. He will face short term. Yeah. Scrutiny. You're right. I think once he retires, it will be, you know what, man? Four MVPs, three titles, three finals MVPs, knocked off the 2013 Spurs, right. beat the best single team of all time after going down 3-1 and almost did it all on his own with due credit to Kyrie Irving. Right. Like, 
I think that that in the end, like I will say this, uh, my big takeaway after the finals was that you don't have to put LeBron James in your top five of the all-time best players in the NBA history. Right. You have to include him in the discussion. Right. You can't be like, well, he didn't. No. Yeah. He, he's there now. 100%. You have to say he's in there. For right. me, like he's, I have a hard, it's tough because, you know, I didn't see Wilt Chamberlain. Right, I didn't of course. See Bill Russell, yeah, and I didn't really see Magic Johnson or Larry Bird. Like right. I was like, I was like five. Yeah, so it's like there's not there's a real lack of understanding of their games. For the best players that I've ever seen, I will say this undeniably, he's the best player I've ever covered. Yeah, like, there's just it's not of course even not close. even close. Yeah, <laughs> and so you look at that and you're like, and for me, in terms of players that I really watched and understood, it's just Jordan, and then it's him, and I don't. To me, there's not a real good argument for keeping anybody else. I will, although I will say, actually, I'll, I'll take a caveat for that. It's Jordan and then Duncan, right? And then him, right, right. I think the one of the, I wrote uh, for Vice Sports, I did a breakdown of every game of the finals, and it was so fun because I'd go back and watch the same plays three or four times, just trying to figure out what happened. And I'll have notes down like, what did LeBron do? What's he doing here? Why did he screw up? And I'll rewatch the play four times. I'll be like, oh no, he didn't screw up. Like he knew exactly what was going on. He was just. You know, he was ahead of the play too much, or you know, somebody didn't do their job. So, he's he's a guy that gets better on rewatch more often than not. Where you see something after four times watching in slow mo, you see what he saw in real time on the court. It's interesting to me that we talk about his physical talents and we talk about his skills. You have to talk with real basketball passionate aficionados to get to what is at the heart of his greatness, which is his basketball IQ. Yep, his 100%. understanding. Uh, you know, the didactic memory has is, is been just, there's yeah. been written about and talked about. But just the fact that I love that he's a guy that in the summer you know that NBA TV is on or he's got tape of a classic game and he's watching it, that he still has that much of a love for the game. I find that really admirable, especially from somebody that, like, there are times when even I'm like, I'm so sick of basketball. I'm just <laughs> sick of it and want to do anything else. But he's still, like, yeah. as much as he does it, he still has a real love of not only – and it's not self-reflective. He's always – he has a real fascination and love. Like, last night he was watching that Team USA game. Yeah. Like, he just won the title. Yeah. He's Like, he could be doing anything. And he's right. sitting around and is like – Man, that DeMar DeRozan dunk was great. And not only watching it, but I feel like he wouldn't miss it. It's not just a like, oh, I happen to not have anything. I feel like he planned his day around the Team USA scrimmage or whatever you want to call that game. But um, I could talk about LeBron for five hours. But uh, this is the Nuggets podcast, so I want to move on to Nuggets stuff um, before we get into some broader NBA stuff. And, and here's how I want to start. For me, I always say last year was one of my favorite Nuggets years ever, and part of that was because there just wasn't any pressure. There weren't expectations. They were supposed to win 26-and-a-half games. They surpassed that not just in wins, but I think in entertainment and um, you know just positive energy from the team and, and some upside. But I want to know, I think things changed this year a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit they change. And I want to know from your perspective, first of all, if we, if we did a scale from 1 to 10, with 1 being the direction the team is headed is a surefire failure, and 10 being it's a surefire success, they're going to win a championship. Or not even win a championship, but they're going to be a championship contender. Where are the Nuggets right now with the core that they've they've built? Success is entirely dependent upon expectation. <laughs> That's the thing. Is like It all entirely depends on what the expectation is. Now, if you want to ask me, what do you think is the general league-wide or media-wide or NBA sphere-wide expectation for Denver – and will they surpass that? I would say that they have a seven or an eight chance. If, okay. If you want to say, what are their chances of winning a title with this group at any point in the future? 
it's like a two. Right. If you say title is so tough. I mean, I just I just in the conversation, and what what I mean by that is any team this year that was like. I don't know, the Clippers are above, I suppose, because the Clippers, I think we would probably agree, didn't. we never thought they were winning a championship, but they were there. They were in the conversation. They're still there. And they still are. Could this team, I guess here's a, but here's a really fascinating question. Um, were the Clippers there before Chris Paul arrived? No. No. So you look, uh, at, so you look at it and you say, <laughs> what, did, what did the Clippers have? Well, they had a really great young player, and they had some very good young talent. Correct. And they had a really terrible owner, yeah. um, but they also had what was surprisingly a very good. Uh, this is and this is an unpopular opinion. Vinny Del Negro is a great coach if you're trying to take a step forward. He's a terrible coach if you're trying to take the step. That's not even. I don't think that's a bad opinion. Vinny Del Negro has become a punching bag for a lot of he things. He's an but excellent developmental coach. He helped Derrick Rose in Chicago. He helped Blake Griffin in Los Angeles. He is a quality coach. If you're talking about, I want somebody to take this group and make them better. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I think all coaches fit into some – I think there's very few coaches that are everything. Mm. I think there's a lot of coaches that are a championship-winning coach. Greg Popovich would not have the attention span to handle <laughs> a rebuilding squad. There's a reason oh, yeah, the, of there's course, a reason the point, Mavericks yeah. will not go for a rebuilding move. It's because uh, in did. part – it's one part of it is Dirk, and the other part of it is like Rick Carlisle's got zero interest in being a part of that. Doc Rivers has zero interest in being a part of that. You reach a point where you're you love the playoffs and you thrive on that, and you've had success, and you feel like it's beneath you. I, on the other hand, am like a kind of a different. I would be like, I think it's really fascinating when coaches are like, no, like I want to come in and help these young guys get All better. Right. Um, it's personality, it's coaching style, it's a lot of stuff. I it's think patience, a and lot patience, of it's age yeah. is, is part of it too. Um, so I think if you look at, at this year for the Nuggets. I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I'll go ahead and say it. Look, could they be Portland this year? I think they could be. I think mm. they could be Portland from last year. Is mm. is Emmanuel as good as, as Dame? No. Of course not. Is At Jok- this point, is, yeah. is, is, is Emmanuel, Gary, or Jokic better than Dame? No. Right. Are any of those guys better than C.J. McCollum was last year? Jokic, you could maybe make an argument. Like, you could go, you could get there. McCollum made a big leap this year and kind of the back half of last year, so it's hard to – But that was – McCollum's also older. Right, yeah. But if we look at it more from a team perspective, like, here's what happened with Portland. Portland had a phenomenal winning streak from January through February punctuated by a series of really weak scheduling. Yeah. Not only in terms of the teams that they played – but they faced good teams who had injuries or concerns. Right. And that's what you need to open up. Yep. Versus last year, I've tried to I've been yelling about this the whole time. I projected Denver for 40 wins last year and people thought I was Whoa. insane. Well, I think you were. But but if we take the caveat that uh, I talked to, to most coaches, I talked to coaches about this. I'm like, how many wins do you think are kind of arbitrary in terms of the ball bounce one way? Yeah. I talked to Michael Malone. How, how many would you say in a year in an 82 game season? It's between it's six and a half. I, th- I think that I was going to say five, but th- 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 yeah, six and a half it's sounds six right. Six and a half. It's the ball bounce. And actually, I talked to Michael Malone about this in Vegas, and he said, "He's like, look, you look at the two Brooklyn games yep. and the two Philadelphia yep. games." And he was like, "Joe Johnson, just unbelievable! Like, are you kidding me?" He's right. like, at the same time, we didn't deserve to win that game in Philadelphia. Yeah, we didn't play well enough to win that game. Right, but we won it. Those are games that can go either way. Yeah. Now, you the uh, there is a belief that well, in the end, it balances out, but sometimes it doesn't. Right, sometimes it Correct. just like knocks down. So and I think have, for Denver, it did by the way last year. So if we say only like four games, like if we say only four of them are games where you're like, man, they like they really they could have won those games and they didn't. Right, like these things didn't go because you can't say things went right for them. So you had thirty three and you had four more. Well, now you're at thirty seven. So you're at thirty seven and 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 I said forty. Now here's the other part of that. 
when I said 40, I did not stop to look at the schedule because after I looked right. at the schedule, I said, oh, there's no way that they're going to hit 40 because their first two months of the season yeah. are a nightmarish hellscape brought about by some sort of dystopian nightmare. Like, it is absolutely horrible how bad their first the, – yeah. like, for a team – and then – Wilson goes down and Nurkic is right, out yep. in two key areas, rim protection yep. and scoring. And Jokic wasn't playing a whole ton in November, so it wasn't right. – we think, well, Nurkic, well, Jokic was there, but he really wasn't. He really wasn't yet. So It was J.J. Hickson at, it was, at center for a while. That's the, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. And so they didn't even know who they were yet. Right. And so I look at that and I'm like, no, I think, I think, if, I think if they were totally healthy – and the schedule was normalized. I think there still is a very good chance that Denver would have won forty. I think Denver that would have been the worst thing for them, by the yeah, way. It would have been. And and this is and this is actually where I would tell you that you're kind of in the in the like you're in the weeds, right? Right. Um, and it's okay if Nuggets fans Nuggets fans are always going to have higher expectations because I mean yeah, Portland fans are telling me that like they're going to be the four seed and make <laughs> yeah. a chance. Like no, <laughs> and that's the same thing for every team. Like Utah, yeah. who I'm very high on next year. I think Utah. I legitimately think Utah. If Memphis has injury issues, I think Memf- I think Utah will be the four seed. That's how good I think they are. There is no scenario in which the Utah Jazz make it out of the second round. None. Not even if they get – not even. <laughs> like, there's just no scenario. I'm with you on Utah in that I'm just not – they're just not that romantic to me. Like, I don't get excited mm-hmm. about them, and I'm with you. I, I'd say there's a scenario they get out of the second round. Like, this year where you get an injury to what was the, the best player. Well, the second round, I'm saying. They could get a four seed. They match up somewhat well with Golden State. Stop. And then – I guess Golden State now has two players yes. that have to get injured. So. You'd have to have Steph out for the season and out, or right, out for the yeah. series and Durant out for the series. And even then, after having been in Oklahoma City for, for Warriors Thunder Game 6, until Clay, Dom- Clay Thompson is dead in the right. ground, I'm not going to believe that he's not going to carry them out of it. So, you know, there are all these kind of different expectations. But I think for, for from a national perspective, no one's talking about Denver because – their gains last year, like Jokic was the second best rookie in the league, right? And people, I, like that's an offensive comment to a lot of people because of the Porzingis yeah. hype. Right. And I'm just like, look, man, defense stability, like he's more healthy. He was able to stay healthy. He's more versatile. He has less to adapt to. Right. Like Nikola Jokic is better right now than Kristaps Porzingis. Right. Porzingis' ceiling uh-huh. is far higher. You think? I don't know about that either, though, Matt. I've I've come a little bit of ways on that as well. If Porzingis has the ability to shoot reliably from three, because Yo- what didn't he shoot thirty six percent this year somewhere around there? I don't have the numbers. You can look it up if you like, yeah. but yeah, it's probably worse than that. But we he showed that ability to not right. only do it, but to shoot like for that to be a real weapon. Even finding those shots for Nikola Jokic was difficult last year. Every time he took a three, it was like, oh, hey, like they kind of found their way to a three-pointer. It wasn't like, oh, they ran a set to get Nikola Jokic a three. But is that on Jokic or is that on Malone? Because it's I, on Malone. Yeah, and I feel like that's that's the thing I'm so curious about Jokic is that I don't, I really don't know. I don't want to overstate it. I don't want to put more pressure or expectations on him because I really don't know what his upside is at the moment. I know he played 20 minutes. They didn't run a lot of stuff through him. They didn't run a lot of action through him. And he got assists. He got points. And he had incredible plus minus. And he did a bunch of stuff that was really, really – But that all changes. Does it, though? And that's the thing I wonder with, with Coach Malone is I'm really curious to how much he's, how many touches he's going to get. And not touches as in here post up and we're going to give you the ball, but just touches as in we're running the offense – we're initiating it through you, and now we're running all this off-ball stuff, and you read. You make the read. Is he going to be treated as Al Jefferson or Jonas Valanciunas, or is he going to be treated as Marc Gasol? I, and that's yeah. like a delicate balance between the two. Because if he's a run as Marc Gasol, that means he's going to get touches in the post and at the elbow right. and at the key. They're going to run the pinch post for him. Yep. That would actually be a really great thing is to have Moutier run the ball up, feed him in, in at, the, at the pinch post, 
run an action, and then, okay, now we're going into our secondary set, and it's going to be Gary Harris or Emmanuel Moutier, and we're going to run pick and roll. You have all these options. Right. But, like, giving the ball to Nikola Jokic as the initiator and just being like, see what you got. Like, right. That would be really good. However. He, and he should. Absolutely. All, on the other hand, I will, I will say this, though. Um, I've seen this a lot with, with young players. Reacting to doubles is a whole other universe. Once the book is – the book wasn't out on him last year. Correct. Even the entire year. Yeah, because nobody really out. came planned for Denver necessarily. They just kind of came in there like, yeah. oh, let's get through it. Yeah. But next year, when they start going, they're scouting. Like the number one thing on on, a, on some of these teams that got destroyed by Jokic is going to be look out for Jokic. Make sure that – you know, bring the double, for him, double on him hard either from the top or from the back in the post. Make sure that you front – like – He's going to face a whole other level of scouting. I think that Emmanuel Moody still is very much in the weeds in terms of people are like, eh, you're going to have to prove it to me. Like, I'm not scared of you yet. And I think it's just you game plan a little bit more for a point guard because he has the ball in his hand so much mm-hmm. last year. So it's right. a little bit different. But with Nicola, I just hope – with Malone, I, ho- I hope he opens up the playbook for him. I don't know that that's part of – one thing I'll say about Malone just as a, as a broad observation is I think he's a lot more of a traditionalist in a lot of ways. And – I'm worried he might use uh, Nicole a little bit more traditionally and just straight pick and rolls and, and post ups. And I think he's such a versatile player that I would love. We talked about this a little bit in Vegas, and you didn't like it. I think primarily he should be getting the ball on the elbows, and they should they should run the offense through him. But I think there's certain lineups that he'll play in where he can be the stretch five that is out on the perimeter and even kind of stagnant on the perimeter. But I think it works not 20 minutes a game. But in as as kind of a counter to what they're doing, I think you can use him as a Met Okor. I think that that's that's a weapon that you can use. I don't I don't see him. He's not a Dirk Nowitzki. He's not right, a right. Um, he's not a Draymond Green. He's not a he. He is more s- stable and positionary. He can act as like a turret in some regards. I think. I think the Malone stuff is interesting because he doesn't come from a traditional line of school. Like, there's not – you don't look back and go and look at his coaching tree. He's not Phil Jackson. He's not – he right. doesn't originate from Phil Jackson. And one of his biggest coaching influences is Greg Popovich, who obviously is like, yeah, I'll do whatever. We're right. going to adapt to personnel. Um, I didn't see necessarily a lot last year of him being like, we're just going to dump it into the post. Like, they don't run – they didn't run the Grizzlies offense last right. year. You know, th- their offense was, I felt like, perimeter-oriented. The problem was they couldn't get open and they couldn't shoot. And if you have a perimeter offense that right. can't get open or shoot, you're going to really struggle. And you had lots of trouble with the spacing. And I think, I think one of the reasons that we've seen probably a lot of the overhaul in the assistant staff is in large part because of that. I think that there's a recognition of last year they didn't really know what they had. And I think that oh, they, 100%. I think that they have a better idea of what they have now. For and sure. they have a lot more. And also with the addition of Jamal Murray – uh, with Wilson Chandler getting back, I think that there will be more of a shift to those kind of dynamics. Look, there's a lot of stuff that I think Malone still thinks. This is a big, one of the things I found a lot with coaches. They get ideas in their head about what will work, and even if the evidence tells them it's not <laughs> right. working, they'll say, well, he was injured, or you got to remember, or I didn't feel – it's just very hard to get them off of those right. ideas. I think one of the things that we're going to see that with is Daniel Gallinari does not work in on this team at small ball four. Mm. I think Daniel Gallinari – can work on some teams as small ball four. I think Daniil Gallinari in Detroit would be a great small ball. Do you think four. because he needs to be more active in the offense as a small ball four, he's more of a stagnant like stretch? In part, yes. I think that he wants the ball and needs the ball. I think in part, um, he needs a rim protector next to him. I think that he needs someone with physicality to where he can play a more passive role mm. defensively. I see. And I think that 
in those kind of situations. And also, in, in part, like there's some issues in, in with this is that if he runs small ball four, he's getting a lot of switches and three-four off-ball stuff, right? If you're running like a one-two. And then he has real uh, reluctance to bust through screens. Like that's just something that Gallo just does not do at this point in his career. I think he might if he was on a contender. I think that I don't blame him for that. But like it stands out to me whenever I watch – Gallinari film whenever I went back last year and subjected myself to every three-pointer that they gave up for the first three months of the season and it was a lot of gin was consumed but <laughs> the other, one of the big takeaways is I was like man Gallo just is not going to bust a screen like if you put him on ball he gets energized like you put him on Steph and he's like let's go let's right, go right. let's go show me I'm gonna I'm no like he's a gamer like come prove it on me yeah like the rooster comes out the rooster <laughs> but if you put him off ball he winds up, and a lot of that is also like he gets. He's also so aware of Danilo more than I think any other player on the court. Like even Jameer, he was more aware of and annoyed at the mistakes of the younger players, and that even when they were successful, it bothered him. That's a huge, huge point, and something that I've kind of I think I think we've both been talking about this a lot. He's physical, like he, everybody talks about him being a leader and uh, kind of a, a a veteran presence and stuff he's he's really bad at hiding his emotions throughout the season especially in the first 2 months he wants to win and it's so frustrating for him i think watching Moutier make mistakes not i don't think he ever gets mad at Moody i think he understands the situation to rookie point guard but it's still like in the game when when Moutier makes a play that screws up a fast break i mean you can just see gallo just an anger wash over him there were times when there would be a mistake that was made and i would watch gallo disengage from the play and they would still score, and he was still angry <laughs> coming right. out of the timeout. Yep. Like, he was still just like, like... That's not what we were supposed to do. It worked, he, but... He would just, like, stare off into the distance, like, trying to compose yeah. himself. Like, like versus some of the other veterans on the floor, Jameer, Durrell, Miller in particular, those three guys are like, okay, you know... But you know something? In playing sport, I don't want this to sound like... I think neither one of us are really criticizing Gallo for this because no. there's, you know, body language, especially on a court... It's something that's really hard to disguise. DeMarcus Cousins does this. He's a really passionate guy, and, and like, and he kind of mopes around the court or this or that. And I don't think he, at least with Gallo, I don't think he's a guy that brings that past the moment. Like it's a thing that he gets pissed off at in, at over. the game, and then it's over, and he kind of knows. And there's a big distinction to be made there because I don't. When we're talking about this, it's really more of a competitive spirit and fire in him than it is a bad attitude. A lot of it is. I, I'm I'm onto this new concept. This is kind of bigger picture. Of, are you a helper? I think there are production guys and there are helper guys, and you need both. Like you just need production. Murray Spates is a production guy. Like Murray Spates <laughs> isn't going to help you win games, but Murray Spates is going to come in while Draymond's sitting, and instead of losing that battle, you're going to be like, "Wow, we hung or we're ahead because Spates came in and hit five buckets in a row." Right. That's that's not a helper, but he's productive. Right. I think Gallo is a is a helper. I think Gallo is a player that can help you. Um, there is the biggest problem, honestly, with Gallo is that, and this continues to be an issue, and we'll see. Like, if if Moutier comes in and he's got better control of his handle, which really came like massive strides throughout the course of the year. Um, if Gary comes in and is like, all right, no, Gary Harris is like a baller now. Um, if those guys come in, and if Wilson's there, I think in part to kind of help, Gallo might be a little bit more okay with not having the ball all the time. There were just a lot of situations where they would be close and Gallo would be like, we need a bucket here, and he would isolate. Right. And literally one of the worst options for the Nuggets at this point is Daniil Gallinari isolating. Right. Like there are – I can come up with worse ideas, <laughs> but yeah. there just aren't a whole lot. 
you you waxed over what I think is one of the bigger storylines. I'm actually writing about this for next week. I think Wilson Chandler b- makes this team so much more versatile. So they give them a versatility that they didn't have last year, and he's gonna. I, I really think if healthy, he's gonna add an incredible amount to this team, and not just to this team, but also to Danilo Gallinari himself. I think he's gonna make him uh, a more impactful player. Um, I was going through some of the preseason stats for him. He had 19 rebounds in one of the preseason games against the Bulls, which would have been a career high. Um, he's six eight. He's a legitimate six eight. You know this because you're you're always with me. I always size myself up to these NBA players because they're all lying about their height. Wilson Chandler's legitimately three or four inches taller than me, and I'm six five. Um, I think I just think him alone is going to bring something to this team that they've that they were missing, which was height on the wing, versatility basketball IQ and then of course shooting which will just be icing on the on the cake there's so many different areas that he's going to help in one of them that's kind of underrated is that uh, Wilson only has one gear and that can be a good thing or a bad thing but with Wilson it's really great in that if they're down by 15 Wilson Chandler's going to come in and if he's feeling it right he's going to knock down three threes and all of a sudden they're like hey it's a six-point game we're right back in this, right. and that's going to re-energize Gallo, and Fareed's going to re-engage, and guys aren't going to check out as quickly because Wilson is a guy that can, that can, for a stretch of time, he can get you 12 points in a quarter, and that's very big for a team that struggles to score the way that they do. Um, the versatility you mentioned I think is a huge point. I, I really want to know – he's very high. Wilson, I know. I've spoken with him. is very high on, Nic- on Nicola. He's very high on Jokic. He's going to love him because Gary Harris loved Nikola because he cuts so well, and Nikola always yes. finds him. And he's going to—it's yes. going to be the same thing for Chandler, smart, only at six eight. Smart, savvy passers is very good. Yeah. And if you're—and this is the thing with Wilson—is if you're able to legitimately go in and be like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to even think of it. Like the Grizzlies are a great example of this. The Grizzlies are a team that the Nuggets can now say, no, no, we've got Wilson Chandler, which means that if you go with Jamichael Green, we can guard you on the perimeter. Correct. And if you guys go with Zebo. I can guard you on the interior. And they couldn't do that last year, and that's where they mm-hmm. got killed. And that's why we both love Gary Harris a lot. His advanced metrics defensively, to, you know, big asterisk to that because defensive metrics aren't great. But they, they, they were much worse for Gary Harris than you would have imagined, and I think so much of that was him guarding bigger guys. I think Gary Harris is going to be great alongside uh, Wilson Chandler. I noticed a couple – he added this trick at the end of the year last year, and I want to talk to him more about it. Um, so how do you guard a guy that's taller than you? Right. How, how, if you're a guard, crowd how, their space, crowd their space, and most importantly, hand up. Okay, keep your hand up, hand hand down, man down. Which there's been talk like Bob Vulgaris is big about this concept of how much that actually matters. He says it doesn't, right? It, yeah, and I actually kind of agree with him. If you crowd space, it's going to be more impactful, correct, than I, anything else. I agree with that. And actually, I've talked every shooter I talked to for an interview. I asked them the same question at the end of it because I wanted I want a huge sample, and eventually I will write on this about uh, is it better. To have a longer defender running straight at you from further away or a smaller defender right underneath you in your space. Mm. And every player, every shooter has always said, I'm more worried about the longer guy because I'm more worried about. Right. That's what I would have guessed. Right. Um, Shane Battier is the only one that says, has has told me, no, it's absolutely not true. The, anytime a player is closer to you in proximity, your shot is going to go down. Like, that is a f- Fact. Huh. However, so here's the thing I would love it. to see the data on this, by the way. I think this is something we have data for. It just has to be sorted through. Right. Ethan Sherwood-Strauss wrote a big thing in the Nuggets 2013 series versus uh, the Warriors about how Steph Curry treated Ty Lawson as a ball rack, 
where he was so short, Steph right. could just rise over him. And if you can't impact field of vision right. and you're a player that's comfortable being crowded, it does not matter for you. Now, Which he's been used to because – In retrospect, we kind of understand that you know you can hit Steph with a two-by-four and he's still going to knock, knock down those shots. There's no such thing as crowding his space. However, um, I think it's interesting in that Harris st- struggled with this where it's like there are players that he's just, he can't he, – he puts his hand up and they're just shooting over him. So what he started doing though, I noticed this, uh, he attacks them on the catch. Mm. He started adapting and he would – study how they catch the ball and then would when they would catch it boom there's a hand there just to disrupt it enough to where they couldn't just rise and fire right. and as long as you can't rise and fire yeah, you're right. if you're trying to create against them on the dribble his harder. hands are so low and so active that most times they're just like screw it and they throw the ball and they re-engage on another side there are this is the thing with Gary Harris is he is so smart so physical so quick that he is able to compensate for that in certain ways there are always going to be games where he gets lit up by great shooters they're going to shoot over him but this is an interesting thing this is where having Wilson Chandler comes into big because then you can say you know what we're just going to switch it and we're going to put Wilson Chandler and then we're going to have Gary Harris play the small guy and if you post this up that's fine because it's very difficult for honestly for big players to play right. some small players because as you know, the ref will almost always call the pity foul on a larger a larger uh, offensive player. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the absolute worst. They, it, we'll say it did start to change in the finals. That was one of the rare times when that switched was that LeBron got the pity call twice and then decided I'm just going to keep going at him and then they stopped doing that. I'm going to credit myself for that because I've been harping on it all year. So I'm going to take, well done, Adam. Uh, thank you. I'm going to take a little bit of congratulations for your compliment. You're welcome, Cleveland. Um, so I, I, there's another thing that I think when, the, when I first opened up this question about the you know surefire success, surefire sell, failure that you talked about, and I want to go back to, and that is that the Nuggets have a collection of talent. You were you were mentioning the Clippers and how they had one player and, and some young talent and this and that. That's what the Nuggets have right now, and I don't think I don't even know if Nuggets understand that that this group they have isn't the group they're going to win a championship with, a theoretical championship with. What it is is it's and, and everybody hates the word assets because it's so impersonal. But really, what it is is it's a collection of talents that's going to become consolidated at some point, and the Nuggets are going to stick with three, maybe four of these guys, and use the rest for to bring in somebody else. In theory, that's probably what's going to happen. They could be the Clippers or they could be the Magic is the problem. Well, yeah, I'm talking about best-case scenarios here. So yeah. avoid all the bad-case scenarios. But if you're just drawing a roadmap to a Nuggets championship right now and everything breaks right, it's not that these guys all age four years and then they no. win a championship. No. It's that they probably age one more year, they get one more year experience, and then the front office has to say, okay, which are the ones that stick? And which are the ones we don't need anymore? And that might be... Yusef Nurkic, it might be Gary Harris or Jamal Murray or, or Will Barton or, or some of these guys that they say, all right, these are our two or three guys, Moutier, Jokic, and Jamal Murray. This is who we're going with. we got to trade these other guys away for a Paul George. or that, I'm just throwing out a guy here. but a, a As super... Amara has reports. The <laughs> yeah, 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 right. um, and that's the thing that I think, you know, even I, this is the first time I think in my life I've been attached to a, a Nuggets team. And I think it's because I'm around the guys and I'm following them much closer than I have at any point in my life. I, I follow the NBA very closely, but this is where I saw Nikola Jokic's first press conference, his first 20-point game. I saw all these things, so I'm, I'm tied to these guys. And it is going to be weird because I think it happens next year, whether it's at the trade deadline or whether it's at the draft, probably at the draft, where we start to see the first piece that we thought was going to be here get paired and moved. I think here's the problem is that none of the guys are 
there isn't anyone untradeable. Like, this is their biggest issue, is that with the Minnesota Timberwolves, if you said, like, they weren't willing to give Wiggins for Paul George or for Jimmy Butler, but they were willing to talk about it. If that's Paul George, that conversation might be different. Oh, that happens. Paul Paul George is the MVP of the 2017 season. There are a lot of coaches that think that Jimmy Butler is as good or better than (sighs) That blows my mind. I agree. I think he's better. Um, (laughs) But I think – You believe Paul George is better. Or yes. Jimmy, but okay, yes, me too. Okay. Paul George is definitely better yeah. um, in almost every area. Um, but this is the thing, though, is that at no point in those conversations did the Wolves ever say, or did the, the Bulls ever say, well, how about Carl? Because right, they would be like, yeah. but this is, but that's the gap. With Nicola, people can call. Is that if you call, if you call, if you call up the Nuggets tomorrow and you're like, hey, we finally realized that Marcus Cousins is not going to be here. Right. The big thing that we want is Nikola Jokic. Yeah. We want Nikola Jokic, Ugh. the neg- the Grizzlies draft pick, your first rounder next year, and Will Barton. And you can get a foundational <laughs> center who is unquestionably one of the top 20 players in the NBA. 20? I mean, the last... How great has he looked for Team USA? And I know that that's... A, Kenneth Freed looked phenomenal for Team USA, too. But when you put him around great yes, guys and he has to yes, focus on one yes, or two things, yes. he just looks like... Yes. He looks like Shaquille O'Neal. This is the problem. And so... None of the Nuggets guys, you don't look at any of the Nuggets guys and go, well, can't trade him. There are guys that, that management would be like, you're going to have to knock off. Like, we're going to have to get a, an absolute steal to give him up because you do worry. You're like, all right, look, what if Emmanuel, what if the jumper for Emmanuel, which it's weird because it's like Emmanuel does hit threes. Yeah. He doesn't, he hits them at a terrible rate, but you're not, you, but you, you see him sometimes you're like, oh, hey. Like, he has sometimes where you're like, wow, that was a good jumper. Like, what if that part just develops? And he's got the athleticism and the speed and the burst and he's got and the, and the passing and that vision, which is just not something yeah. you can teach. Yeah. And then you're looking at it and you're saying, you know, Chicago wants Emmanuel Moutier, uh, Will Barton, and two first-rounders for Jimmy Butler. And you're like hmm. – Jimmy Butler is definitively better than the yeah. and 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 Jimmy and Butler may be better now than never, Emmanuel Moody yeah. will ever be. And this is the problem. I have a, a huge issue with this. Is there's two ways of looking at upside. You either assume or you ignore. Right. And that's the only two ways that we really take it. It's well, look at this point in time, he's not as good. He could be, but we don't know that. And then the assumption there is like. Because it's an unknown, it's a negative. But then there's the other side of it, which is, like, very often we go, like, well, you know, like, I mean, look, Nikola Jokic was already this good. And in another four years, it's like, correct. look, man, you don't know. There, there's a very real scenario where Nikola Jokic is the Jurnus Elgauskas. Because the Jurnus Elgauskas was a great player in the NBA on bad teams right. for eight years. That's not a terrible comp, actually, just in terms of, like, uh, Nikola Jokic. I don't know if he's a guy that's ever going to carry a team. But, again, it comes down to it's only been one year, and he was a, a minor usage player. So. Jokic could come out next year and everybody be like, Nikola Jokic is averaging, you know, 20 and 12 and, like, 25 and 15 per, per 100 possessions. Yeah. And he's shooting 54% from the field, and he's shooting 36% from three, and his defensive metrics are up. Right. And his plus minus is through the roof. Yeah. Like I'm th- rooting for that. <laughs> that's a very that's a very plausible scenario. But then the whole assets thing you get back to is you got to have something that you're you do have to be able to say like our future is built like we want to make a run with 
this. Even if it's just we want to make a run to the, to the conference finals. Right. Like we Which wanna, is fair, honestly. Like, like that's look, we we're learning that's really the goal. The championship thing is the goal, but you if just you have were, to be there. Look, I mean, look if if you if you're a te- if you could, if you could tell, I think most Nuggets fans would agree with this. If you could be like, we're going to get you a team that's going to be in the Western Conference Finals four out of the next five years. Oh, I take it. They'll take it. One hundred percent. But yeah. even if you're like, but you're never going to win. Uh, take it. <laughs> the, the the beauty of sports is you don't know the outcome though. That one that one would be hard. But I guess that's more of a philosophical um, question. But here, but it's interesting because. We do treat it as this championship or bust mentality. Yeah. And I will tell you this. Um, Memphis is a good example of this with what it has meant to the community because, like, people did not care about the Grizzlies in 2009. Did not care. Right. That town is NBA crazy. Really? And it has been since 2011. That, it's the only show in town, right? It's Pro the only show. show in town outside of uh, outside of Memphis basketball and from the university. Um, people really care about it. And another good example of this is the Blazers, where the Blazers have a long-standing history and they have a championship in their past, but that was 70s. Like now, like if you look back at Portland fans and you're like, "What was your favorite team?" Sometimes some teams are gonna, some fans are going to be like, "Man, I really love that that late 2000s team that or that mid early 2000s team that gave a run." Oh, a lot of people actually. I was just hanging out mm-hmm. with Portland fans. They, that holds a special place for them. A lot of them are going to say that team that made a run with Brandon Roy. And, and we're facing off against the Mavericks and made that run. Yeah. They love that team. Some fans are going to say, oh, man, look, LaMarcus, Wes Matthews, Nicholas Batum, Damian Lillard, that 2014 team that upset the Rockets, that was my favorite moment as a Blazers fan. These moments matter. Right, they And do. Denver deserves some of them. And they've gotten only – They've, gotten they've had little – Yeah, them. they've had a few. Chauncey – the Chauncey. Chauncey Nuggets, I think, are the ones – That's it. Those are the ones that endear. Um you know, I'm excited for this team, though, and it will be interesting to see this next year. I think, what's the doomsday scenario just for this season coming up? Outside of injury, of course injuries can, can derail That's the anything. biggest thing, though, for uh, so many teams. It just changes everything. But let's just assume health. What's a doomsday scenario? The doomsday scenario is Moutier stagnates and struggles. Um, and I think that's more realistic after, than moves back. Because, yeah, I think... After... Once teams really start to game plan for him, and he just becomes ineffective, and that creates tension on the team because they're like, "This is a," and then he gets benched, and they have to start Jameer, and then mm. local media and some fans are mad because they're like, "Jameer's not our future," and Emmanuel's confidence is being ruined. Um, if they wind up, you know, they look at the situation and they make a trade for some sort of veteran, either with Gary Harris or somebody else. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, and Jokic, too. I mean, Jokic had a great game yeah. year last year at 20 minutes. And he played 30 minutes a game, I think, for the last month. But there's a chance he also looks... He stagnates. The chemistry erodes. They don't have the same kind of vibe. Um, the veterans check out. They want trades. The trades are bad. Um, that's a big one is, like, they finally found a deal for Gallo, Fareed, Jameer, some combination of those guys, even Barton. Um, who Barton's on such a deal of a contract, right. you, just, you can't deal him. But if let's say that they did, key thing to remember here: um, I will vouch for Tim Conley's basketball IQ incessantly. I will vouch for his draft record beyond anything. He needs to be in the conversation for the top five best teams to draft in the league. Like Tim Conley's draft record is nearly impeccable. That said, 
Tim Connolly's first two signings were Nate Robinson and J.J. Hickson. Both were brought in as, as examples of, wow, we really got a bargain on these guys, and they're going to help us win, and they're both character guys. And neither of those guys was the case, <laughs> and there's a reason both those guys were traded for nothing. Right. So there's a concern there of, like, look, if, if Connolly really thinks that guy's going to help them. Let me, let me ask you this. They let's say they you and I both agree at the end of next year that the Nuggets showed improvement. Moutier looks a lot better. Jokic looks better. Nurkic had a bounce back year. All these things, and they win thirty six games. Is anybody on the hot seat? I mean, are, what what do the Nuggets do? Um, again, this is kind of a weird hypothetical because we're saying that they look better and all the players are making improvements, but it didn't translate to wins. Or is there a little bit of a panic? Because that's a possibility, right? That can happen. I think in that situation, um, Michael Malone is on the hot seat, and if he loses, if they start out 2017, 2018, and they go 10 and 20, he's gone. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think he gets fired after two years, in part because I don't think they're going to want to pay all the coaches the money that they have to. Um, <laughs> but I think that he's definitely on the hot seat, and that's a mid-season replacement. And that's going to be really unfortunate because then it's just going to be like Michael Malone's like a really great assistant coach that can't be a head coach in this league. And that's really odd. Coaches, man, that's so hard. That's why they have to be so select. I mean, you take whatever job you get when you're a guy like Mike Malone, and it's so it would be unfortunate for him to get the axe unwarrantedly from Sacramento. And then if it happened in Denver. I just think it's I don't weird. think it will, by the Here's way. This the, is a bad hypothetical. I but. think it's weird that there's as much – like there's a lot of consternation. And, like, you, like there are things that Malone does that bug you – um, like Jeff Morton from I'm from, so quick to Stiffs. say though that it's only one year like yeah. all the things he does that bug yeah. me are probably uh, my, justifiable my whole thing is is like I just look at the biggest thing is like this team came prepared yeah and when they weren't that was what he was most angry at like his his times of being most mad were when he was like we had a scouting report we gave him the scouting report and they still get up like right. you know, 25 28 33s like yeah how is this possible like, that was when he was most mad. His guys came ready to play. They had tight practices. There was a good environment. There was good energy. They were all working towards it. The fact that Mike Miller came back, the, fight, the, the fact that Darrell Arthur came back in particular, the fact that Jameer Nelson has not demanded a trade, the fact that Daniel Gallinari has not officially demanded a trade, um, <laughs> those things all matter to me from the context of building whatever it is that they're going to. Like, the Nuggets are building towards a place, and that's very much clear. And for me, with Malone, it's – Look, you clearly just got to get the right combination around them, and they're going to figure stuff out. Like that's You have enough evidence to see that. Um, at the end of the day, you have to win. I hate the phrase at the end of the day, and I hate the idea that, you, that it's results over process. But part of it also is like, look, man, if you're the Nuggets, they, you can't have this attendance. Right. It's going to be another issue, another issue next year. You know, Because the, the attendance, is it going to go up next year? No. Yeah, I don't think so well, either. Well, I guess I'll say this. There'll be a bump early in the season because people always kind of are like, hey. And then it'll be – the biggest question will be if they rattle off, if they win seven games in a row, if they start out 7-0, and all of a sudden it's going to be like, hey, all right, the Nuggets are kind of all right. And the schedule comes out in like two weeks, right? Yes. It'll be pretty soon. If they get screwed again by the schedule, if that early if, – if I look on that schedule and it's like – and it's like, oh, they play the Warriors, the Spurs, um, the the Clippers. Yeah. If they play Egypt, like they, if they play those teams twice in the first two months, 
Like, okay. Yeah. Like, After last season, man, I really see how important that is. They really need a soft opening. Maybe like a four or five game soft, you know, bad teams or injured teams or something to open it up to get some excitement. I'll tell you, from just from looking at our, our comments, our page views, and our comments on Facebook, which I think the people that, that see our Facebook posts are less – they're more casual fans. And they were so excited about the Dwayne Wade thing, and they were so uninterested in, like, the Darrell Arthur and the yeah. Mike Miller and all of these other things. Wancho Hernan Gomez, they don't care. Um, and I think that's – I think the casual fan going they into this – signed Von Miller, they care. <laughs> maybe we'll try that post at some – maybe we'll start covering uh, – at Denver Stiffs, we'll start covering the uh, training camp, Broncos training camp next just week just that. to see what and happens. Go up. I mean, look, I – on – I hear this a lot from actual local media. This is like the thing is like is like a lot of I believe that a lot of the fan feeling in Denver is driven by the by how the media treats it. Like there are conversations that Chris Dempsey and I will regularly have with local members of the media where they're like, "Look, I'm just saying the Broncos would go out and sign somebody. They're just not going <laughs> to not sign somebody." And trying to explain to yeah. people how the NBA yeah. works and the dynamics. And it is tough because it's supposed to be like, well, if you carry yourself and you conduct yourself in the right way, like the success will follow. And it's like, look, Denver's done that. But they're going to have to erase a lot of preconceived notions about Denver being not a great town for, for NBA players' lifestyles and not a great town for a team that wants to spend to win. That's a major concern. When you let the executive of the year – Walk correct after winning fifty seven games. You know everyone in town is like, so what? We didn't win in the playoffs, but everyone around the league is like, you let Masai Ujiri go, right. you let Masai Ujiri go. Things like that last for a long time because that, that we, I still get those comments at Stiffs once a week. Maybe. And and there's and one there's also this other dynamic, and this is a like much more tricky. Okay, um, players right now are probably saying like. Look, man, Denver clearly doesn't want to win. I don't want to be a part of that. Like, why? Right now, you think they're saying that? Yes, because they're going to say, like, well, they didn't spend any of their money. They're below the cap floor. They could have paid a brilliant mm. guy. If you bring, if you overpay for a veteran that is not that good, like Portland right now, everyone's saying, like, hey, you know what? Portland's pretty is, – is a place I want to be. Like, why? Well, they paid my friend Evan Turner $70 million. <laughs> This is how it works. Really? Is – like the star players aren't just friends with the star players, and the mid-level players aren't just friends with the mid-level players. Yeah, your teammates and your friends with everybody, and they're looking at it and like, yeah, my boy Evan Turner got seventy million from them. They want to win. I think you and I both know that the Nuggets are willing to spend the money. I think obviously pursuing Wade showed that they were willing to spend the money on the roster, and they've gone over. They've gone to the tax. They paid Kenyon Martin a ton of money, the same ownership. Yeah, I think they're willing to. I think. I think they're at least smart about not doing it this summer. They tried with the Wade what thing. What player but. is going to – here's the complicated thing. You need to get a player to buy in on the concept, right? Yeah. But what player is going to tell you – is going to tell you, wow, the Knicks were really bad with their decision-making for constantly overspending. Like what player is going to tell you – like no player is going to be like Brooklyn was a bunch of morons. Like they overpaid mediocre players. They gave Chris Humphreys $24 million on a two-year deal because those teams – Make them more money. And so I think what Denver did was amazing. I think Denver, I seriously think Denver going and being like, like telling the roster, look, guys, we recognize that we didn't like going to Gallo and be like, hey, I know you would like to get more veterans. Any guys that we would have brought in either would have been in competition for your minutes or wouldn't have significantly helped us. Like, we're not going to bring in a point guard that's going to help us more than Emmanuel or Jameer. Right. There wasn't one on the market that was good enough that was going to come here that just wasn't going to happen. Right. If you want to say, like, we should have spent just to spend, 
the money we're not spending goes in your pocket. You make more money. Right. We like you Slightly and you're, more, but we like you sense. and you're underpaid. You get a bonus check from us not spending a random money for not giving Evan Turner. And, that, and by the way, that's about a million dollars a player, I believe, at the moment because they're I think they're 16 or 18 below, and there's 15 guys on roster, so. It's a million dollars, and you say that like that's not like 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 that's not. <laughs> I, did, much. I did start to say that, and then I thought of how stupid like, that is. That's not well. I guess there's a difference. Is like that's that's not much to Gallo. That's a thirteenth of his salary. Yeah, He's, no, it is a lot. You know, that's yeah. <laughs> like, do the math on what's, yeah. what a thirteenth of your salary is right now, and ask how much would you like it if your employer was like, <laughs> instead of bringing in somebody to compete for your minutes, I'm going to give right. you a one thirteenth of your salary bump. Right. So. And they've got flexibility to add whoever they that they need to. I, they're gonna need, look. They have to set. They have. This is. I do believe this. You have to set the right situation to capitalize on opportunity. Wade was an opportunity that they missed on. Blake Griffin was an opportunity that they were very, 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 very close on, and they made the right decision because they knew that this is the this is their biggest issue. Is they can trade the veterans, but then the guy that they get back isn't going to be in line with the timeline of the youngsters. And they could trade the youngsters, right? but the guy that they get back Correct. isn't going to be on the timeline with the veterans. You have two very distinct timelines, and the Suns had the same problem. Right. Hopefully the Nuggets handle it a little bit. Are you talking about the Suns of this last year? The, the current year before, they the have current this issue. And they, look, they've got – the Suns have Eric Bledsoe, who at his best has That's, played near All-Star. Yeah. They've got Brandon Knight, who – I'm very low on, but it's weird the reactions Brandon Knight elicits from people. <laughs> um, look, I, I look at Milwaukee and I say that player's in there somewhere. Brandon Knight may be Aaron Aflalo. Yeah, that's what he may be. He may be a, a, a combo guard version of Aaron Aflalo. Yeah, because yeah. his defense was good in Milwaukee and was horrendous in Phoenix, and Aaron's defense was really good in Denver. And terrible in Orlando and has been terrible since. So, like, Brandon may just be Aaron Aflalo, but I still like his upside. And they have Tyson Chandler, who, like, Tyson Chandler would still help the Warriors. Tyson Chandler would still help the Cavaliers. Tyson help Chandler. the Warriors? He would, I mean, they would go 82 and 0 with him, I think, at center. No, they're going to go 82 and 0 anyway. Yeah. So I don't know what we're talking <laughs> oh, about. Um, all right. Well, before we get to that, I want to I want to break real quick because we have a sponsor. We have a new sponsor for the first time. Woo. Wash Club Denver. Wash Club Denver is a brand new laundry company that offers on-demand pickup and delivery of your laundry. Wash Club Denver will actually pick up your laundry or dry cleaning from your house, take it to their state-of-the-art facility to be cleaned, and return it to you within 24 hours. You never have to do laundry again. They can even iron it and fold it for you. Here's how it works. You simply place an order on washclubdenver.com, or you can download the Wash Club app. They've got their own app. And uh, you enter your order, you you set the pickup and delivery address, and they'll take care of the rest. They'll come to your house and pick it up and, and get it back to you. Um, so uh, they actually even – this is the coolest part. They actually have a promo for Denver Stiffs listeners. They just launched this week, and if you enter the promo code STIFFS, S-T-I-F-F-S, you get 20%, 25% off of your order. Um so, again, that's washclubdenver.com or the Wash Club app. Check it out. And if you do, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know how, how it went. I want to hear how, uh, how our sponsors are doing. So, again, washclubdenver.com and the Wash Club app. Um, Matt, I want to go into – we kind of started to talk on this, but I want to talk about the state of the NBA because both, both you and I are big NBA fans, much more than Nuggets fans. I'm a big Nuggets fan. Um, you're a Grizzlies fan by, by heart. But I care about the league a lot more than anything else. The Nuggets can be bad. I'm still going to enjoy the NBA. 
Um, and you talked, uh, you you just talked about what what players are motivated and how they're looking at the Nuggets' uh, salary and maybe they're willing to spend. Do you think are players more concerned now than ever with how an organization is run? You know, the amenities, the roster, the coach, the front office stability than they've ever been, and are they less interested or concerned right now about the actual market? I would have thought so up until about July 4th. Um, but did Kevin Durant pick the Warriors because it's the Bay, or th- was that a nice perk? I think it was part of it. I think it wasn't. Yeah. I think it – be, there's a lot of ways to think about this. There is a – I don't know which one is the real – the the true story, but there is a line of thought that goes that he's always been – susceptible to the influence of others that's mm-hmm. something i heard about him years ago not something new like i that was heard of years ago there's a reason that he switched agents multiple times um his the reports about him and westbrook and having the conversation about oh don't worry i'm coming back and then tough. I mean, that's tough it's tough um i don't want to get into that because i'm also kind of like you just can't prove what was said correct said. all speculation I, think, I will say though that i think um i think people around him were very interested in the bay and I think that those people were able to say, yeah, Russ is good, but look at what you can do here. Um, the reason I actually bring that up is because before that, when I was in Oklahoma City covering um, Thunder Spurs, which is the most fun I've ever had covering a series. It was just such a fun series the whole way through. I was talking to somebody with the organization, and what they said was, we understand that we don't have – like you're not going to be like, wow, Oklahoma. No one's like, I'm really excited to go to Oklahoma <laughs> right. as an NBA player. That's just not – like it's not about – you know people in Oklahoma love it, and that creates part of our environment. Um, but but that's not going to be – we're never going to sell people on that. We're not going to be like, hey, at night you can go do this, and there's all these fashion shows. That, that's not part yeah, of it. Yeah, not happening. So what we did was we built an organization that makes sure the players know we love them, that we really love our players, that we love – that we're going to take care of them. It's stuff like that article from the Oklahoma City um, – from the local paper there about Ennis Cantor. And about how they really embraced his Muslim faith, mm. and you know, really made allowances and under and made sure to be aware of that, and to not kind of hide that in the background, but be like, "Hey, we celebrate you for this thing right. that makes you different." Um, they did that consistently, and that's one of the reasons that veterans have wanted to be a part of them. Like, bear in mind, it's been very rare that, that players have left. Like, Derek Fisher wanted to go to Oklahoma City. Yeah, Derek Fisher is Derek Fisher, right. but he wanted to go there, and there were a lot of teams that wanted him, and he wanted to be there. Karan Butler. Wanted to be there. There were a lot of teams that wanted to be, and they go there, and they actually wind up enjoying it. Are there limitations? Sure. Yeah. So, and you're never going to get rid of those limitations. By yeah. the way, the practice facility is a huge deal. I've learned this. I don't get it, but it's a huge deal to them. They want their locker room to be super fancy. They want to feel like they live that they are working in. And I get it from this perspective. Let's say you go in for a job interview, and they come in and they tell you that you go into a large conference room, and they say. You're going to do exciting work. We're going to put you at the front of your field. We think that your talents are underappreciated at your current job, and we think that you can do this, that, and the other. All of these amazing things. Yeah. And you're like, so far so this good. This sounds great. Yeah. And they're like, let me show you where you'll be working. <laughs> yeah. And it's a cubicle form. Yeah. And yeah. there's like, allu- like there's there's the the stale lights overhead yep. that are flickering. The fan and you're makes like, a noise. Yeah. And like you look in, and like the refrigerator's messy, oh, okay. and like yeah. and like the toaster oven just looks gross. Yeah. And you're like, and there's no restaurants anywhere around. And yeah. you're just like, yeah, the work sounds great. But then you go to another place, and they're like. You know what? We've got to, you know, we think that you fit into this role. We don't, we're not, like, this isn't a job that there's going to be a lot of room for advancement. We need you to come in and do this job. We provide a pretty good work environment. And then you go out, 
and you see like and like let's show you where we be, where you'll be working. And it's like there's couches everywhere, and it's an open floor space, and there's a basketball court in the background, and a foosball machine, and they've got a yogurt bar downstairs, and it's amazing. Right. The difference is I've worked at both places. Okay. Like, before my job as an NBA guy, uh-huh. I worked at both kinds of places. I like the cubicle farm really? way better. Wow. Way better because my work was valued. I felt like I was doing meaningful stuff. I see. Yeah. And I was able – I can get used to like I can bring my lunch in. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't need we the might, yogurt bar. This is a personality thing too, though, because I I've worked from home almost my entire life, and I don't think I'll ever go back to an office. But I did work when I did work in an office. It was a very depressing, boring cubicles type office. So this is the Google thing, right? The Google where we have showers and gyms, and you want to play racquetball for lunch? Go down and do it. Um, but it is the next arms race because Philadelphia spending $50 million on a new practice facility. Atlanta paired with – is it P3? Is that who they paired mm-hmm. with to build a facility? And it's like fight Boston, the same thing. There's a bunch of these teams, and the Denver facility at the moment is a weight room, like a glorified <laughs> high school weight room, and then like an auxiliary high school gym. It's a nice gym. <laughs> it is a nice gym, but, you know, I never even thought about it until last year that the Nuggets went down to the Olympic Training Center and Malone said it's because we can't even practice on this course too small for 20 guys or whatever it is they bring to training camp. So it does seem like it is the new arms race, but it also just seems like, you know, look, I hate to give uh, Joe Lake of any credit because I absolutely hate the things that he said in his times, and, I, and I'm way harder on him maybe than I should be, but – there is some truth to organizational stability speaks a lot, I think, to these players, especially in the era where rings are so important. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that the Nuggets upgraded their mm-hmm. locker rooms. I think that was part of it, and the players seemed to like it. Um, yeah. Part of it, though, is also, and this is not, a, I, I would say that this is about players, but it's not. This is a human thing. Um, you get your contract, and you're really grateful for the money because you never had that kind of money, and you're really happy with it. But then after two years, you're like, what else? Right, you get the, the you get new new locker rooms. Okay, that was nice. Yeah, was, what else? And so it's like this constant like Kinda, more, yeah. more 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 more. Um, are there things that could be different? Yes. Are, are like would a practice facility help Denver? Yes. The biggest thing is what they really need is they need a sustained run. If, yeah. If yep. if Michael Malone and and I would not say this about a lot of coaches. I really wouldn't. I liked Brian Shaw as a candidate coming in. Mm. Everyone liked Brian Shaw as a candidate coming in. He is a head coach. I'm going to have to Twitter search myself for Brian Shaw. We'll see. Um, he came in with a lot. Of, like, he was coming out of Indiana with. Yeah, players love him there. Well, and he was known as, like, a great communicator. And, like, Indiana didn't run a rudimentary, like, flawed conceptual. Like, his first press conference was when I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. Because I asked him, I was like, hey, versatility is, like, a huge deal yeah. in, in this league now. And he was like, I believe in traditional positions. And I was like, well, this is not going to go well. Oh, that opening presser was so bad for him. Uh, most pressers were bad for Brian. And, like, <laughs> I, the thing I've always said about Brian Shaw, though, is, like, he's become such a punchline, especially in Denver. But, like, Brian Shaw is one of the most honorable people I've met. Really? Like, Brian Shaw never – he that dude never lied to us. Like, he never came out. And, and maybe I firmly believe this. Some coaches, like, I think lying to us is part of it. Like, you got to lie to us. But I genuinely think that, that Brian Shaw has – I think he had good intentions. I think that he comes from a Phil Jackson tree, and that warps you. Like, the Phil Jackson tree – warps you from how you perceive things there's almost an idea of like believe that you are better so you will be versus like being intellectually curious i see this okay. is kind of why the the warriors are so fascinating because kerr integrates yeah the intellectual curiosity of greg popovich with the spiritual um 
confidence that of Phil Jackson and those things have combined to create this thing in right. the state. <laughs> this thing. Um, so yeah, I think like do do those things matter? Yes, but I think Michael Malone has the capacity to be a coach that redefines things. It's like wow, I want to go play for Michael Malone, and I want to play with Emmanuel Mudiay or Nikola Jokic. Probably not Gary Harris, but I want to say Gary Harris because I like his game so much. Just briefly, Kevin, I mean, Kevin Durant didn't give the Lakers a meeting, and that's, you know, I think that may be maybe one of the first times a superstar has just completely brushed off Los Angeles, especially the Lakers in particular. And I like that. It makes it a little bit more of a meritocracy because the NBA will never be that way. If, if you just have the same front office and ownership, and one's in Oklahoma City and one's in the Lakers, every free agent goes to the Lakers. But I do kind of like that the Lakers don't seem to have their act together behind the scenes, and Kevin Durant says, I want no part of that. And I, I, I don't know. It, it gives me a little bit of hope for Denver in that I think they're building something. They've built a culture now for one year. If they can continue on this trajectory for three or four and they become one of the – you know, they become a stable front office and ownership group, I think I'm, – I'm at least optimistic that they can – If they don't have a star on roster right now, if they do not have a superstar – not superstar, a star – a Kyle Lowry level star on roster right now. This entire structure will be gone in four years. Uh, yeah, like that's the reality. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, a- a- anything else is going to feel. Part of it also is like you yeah, understand the, the competitive nature of those involved. Like, if you're a GM in this league, you're not you're not competing in this league to be good. You want to win championships. If you're an owner, you're not like I just want my team to be really good. It's embarrassing. You want to be a championship team. Um, I want to I want to move on here because I do have a couple of quick things for you. Yeah. One of them was you wrote about super teams this week and it was really interesting. And Thanks. your thing was uh, what it, what does it mean to be a super team? Which I think is actually a pretty fascinating topic. Um, we are in the era of super teams, or at least it seems that way. I'll, I don't know if we really are in the era of super teams, or if we've always been in the era of super teams. I don't just, think we have been. Tell me who the super teams were in in the, the late the, in, in oh, the late nineties. Well, we just had the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls were a super team. They just happened they? organically. They have three Hall of Famers but on the roster. I just, but in the article, I argue you can't be an organic super team. I, I, and, and I totally get that. And that's what. And that's so. By your definition, the super team is you know something that was assembled through free agency. But free agency is so unique to that to this to this era. Players Which is are, why we didn't have them before. Yeah, exactly. That's so my it's thing. Kind of this, like, yeah. It, well, I guess here's the thing. If you have guys that come up together, because I guess here here is a very relevant part of this. And I guess it's it's okay if you think that these guys are, are super teams. Like, that's fine. Like, that's I, I totally – if you're just like, all that matters is the talent. If they're that talented, they're a super team. But we have to at least accept that the public doesn't use that nomenclature because no one said that the Warriors were a super team. Right. They were just the Warriors. They were a super now team. They're a super t- yeah. But not a super team. Right. And now they are definitively a super team because it has to be something was added from the external – to create something greater. And we didn't have that. And you're right. The free agency is the biggest part of that. It's like, it just didn't happen. Like, you know, I, I argued in there that the Houston Rockets were – the Rockets were the closest kind of thing I could find as far as an example goes because you've got Hakeem Olajuwon. Right. They added Clyde Drexler, and then they added Barkley. But those guys were past their prime, so they didn't – they barely did not qualify. And that's kind of how every former super team was. They were in the past their prime, well, it's assemble now. Gary Payton – not even yeah, on the, the Lakers. Lakers yeah. Not even on the Lakers. Like Gary Payton, Alonzo Mourning on the 2006 Heat team, right? Oh, like yeah. you look at it, like that's that's look at the Hall of Famers. Yeah, Shaquille, but at that point, those guys really were. Just they really players. were. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, but you look at it. All right, look. Uh, the Detroit, the Bad Boys, Pistons, like Hall of Famers. You've got Lambeer, 
Dumars, Isaiah. Mm-hmm. I think Dumars is in. I'm not sure. Um, like th- that's three and Rodman, right? Right. Yeah. You got all these really great players on that team. Um, the the Showtime Lakers. If you talk, about, this is this is the most fascinating thing. You talk about the Showtime Lakers, okay? Hall of Famers on that team. It's like Jamal Wilkes, Cooper. Like yeah. all of these guys were on it, along with Magic and Kareem. But like no one talks about like the super team nature because it was like what made them a super team like oh it was the way that they played and they were so good and, and it was like and Magic Johnson was really awesome and they had Kareem right but it wasn't like <laughs> all those other but like now like if we talk about the Warriors nobody's gonna be like oh they were just like so they're gonna they do move the ball and all that that stuff that goes along with it but it's gonna be like dude they had <laughs> Stephen Curry <laughs> Kevin Durant Clay Thompson Draymond Green and I hope that doesn't get whittled down over time and it might I mean I this Warriors team might be it was I think Clay's gonna get forgotten I hope see that's the one I hope not because He's such a huge part of that. Well, team. I think I also think eventually Clay's going to want out, and Clay will demand mm-hmm. a trade, and then Clay will go to Charlotte or somewhere and just like burn and like burn buildings down because he's so good. Uh, Maybe that'd be interesting. As part of me would like be, to see that. It'd be more too. interesting than them just destroying everything yeah. for five years. Um, how interested are you in the Olympics? Uh, Olympic basketball. I have been so long a hater of international basketball, and the Nuggets have beaten it out of me to where I have a small level of interest in this one. Um, to let you know kind of how it's going, I'm trying to schedule my night shifts with CBS because I have certain aggregation duties I have to fulfill um, to where I'm only on during a number of games. Ah, uh, okay. So it's like, I'll do, like Australia, all right, I'll do that one. Uh, like, I'll, Jokic will play. Like, I want to watch Jokic. I'll be, I'm willing to work then, but, like, they're playing Venezuela. I will not be working that night. That <laughs> yeah, is right, not something right. I have any, yeah, nobody cares I, about I that. just, for me, it's like, especially this year, man, with, with Spain having fallen off with as much talent as going to be missing from them, Abaca and Mark are both out. Um, and they've got some talent, obviously. I think Powell might still play. And, uh, you know, They'll still be good. They'll be interesting. But... It's very you know, and Argentina is pretty much off the map. Yeah. Like there's such we we have I'm less interested in Argentina for sure. We have the B team out there. A and a half. There's like five A players. Six maybe, seven. Okay. Tell me who Paul George is an A player. He's gonna be a bench guy. Mello is still an A player internationally. Okay. Are we talking about NBA level or are we talking about on within the, the, the context of of all available players, all available for, players, for, and I'm picking. I think there's like six or seven guys I would have picked personally for a 12 man roster. For a 12 man roster, well, I, I'd have to go through it because yeah, okay, you Durant, have to go through with it. Durant, Clay, Draymond, L- Paul L- George, Kyrie, even Kyrie. Actually, I'll take Kyrie off. Like who's the, here's who's DeMarcus not on, here's who's not on it, right? Steph Curry, yeah, big Le- one. LeBron James, another big one. So that's probably one too, right? LeBron James. Um, who else is missing? Westbrook, um, who I think Westbrook. Personally, I, I'm all right with him not being on. He's a, such a great player, but just fit for for a super team. James Harden. Again, I'm all right with it. Harden, uh, well, uh, uh, but Harden was fantastic for the 2014 team, and he would be better than like a Jimmy Butler, more exciting for me, I think, than a, than a Jimmy Butler or somebody. But right. Yeah. So I mean, you've got KD. You do have you do have KD. And Buggy has been so fun to watch. I mean, he's. He's. I, I, I wouldn't have mentioned him a week ago. Now I mentioned him as in like this is awesome. I'm not really. I mean, Paul George I would put on there. I'm not. I mean, Melo's really great in international play, but he had 16 points in like three minutes the other yeah, day. Yeah, he's, he's really great in international play, but I'm. Uh, I'm still like. I just don't consider this in any way. I mean, look, you compare this to the 2012 team. Yeah, you compare yeah, it to the 2008 yeah. team. It's not. Like, get out of here. This is the worst of those. Get out of here. Sense, yeah. Right. Like that's it's still the thing. fun though. It's well, that's the thing. Is like it is. It's it's still fun, but. Here's the thing. It's and this is actually kind of an interesting one. 
would it be more interesting if the all the stars were playing and they were dominating them more? Yeah, exactly. Well, for me, for me, yes, because they're going to dominate anyway. Yeah, so they might as well see the best. Thing. It's like, it's like, I'm like, man, there's, this team isn't that impressive, and they're still just going to crush everybody. And see, here's where we're different because as you've been coming around to Europeans or foreign basketball player, I've been like selling my stock, and here's why. I did it. Of all the international players coming in, so almost an overwhelming majority of them are centers. Mm. And it's all, I almost think that there's – rather than the world catching up at basketball, I think they definitely are. They definitely are getting better at basketball. They but I think, But I think it's more that we just find taller people. There's only like 87-footers in the U.S. So you're pulling – if you're, all you find 7-footers are in the U.S., you're not, there's not that many to pick from. If you go across the world, now there's a lot more 7-footers. Right. So many – there's 110 NBA players – in the NBA last season. And like 50 of them were 6'10 or taller. I'm sure there will be a resurgence of Western European guards though. Yeah, I hope so. Like I think, it, I think there will be a, I think that I think there will be more um, there will be French and Spanish guards because Spain Spain has a long standing history of guards that excite us. Yeah. Um, like Some one player. car like it, it, yeah. in, in in modern terms like if Juan Carlos Navarro was 25, some team would have gone and gotten him. Yeah. You know? He's a shooter. He's got. He's he's kind of fun to watch too. He, he he's, was he's cocky. He he was. <laughs> hey, I was so excited when Memphis got him, and then yeah. just never played him. Yeah. Just never played him. But like Labamba would have been in. He for the modern NBA. Oh, Labamba would have been insane. So like <laughs> I don't even know is, his game. It's fine. Um, yeah. There's stuff to watch. I'm trying to be more open to these teams. Like some of it's like a bummer. Like like Canada failing to make the cut. That's yeah. a bummer. They got a lot of talent. Um. Australia, I feel like there's some guys that could like that they are you know they're a team that that maybe like Canada I was actually really excited for I was like hey they got got and then like Wiggins bail on and they failed to qualify they'll be good at the next one though maybe 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 we keep yeah. saying that yeah that's true all right let's go to lightning round to wrap this thing up okay how many games the Nuggets win next season oh I'm not ready to do this man <laughs> uh, you're not it, it is on record but this is July we we'll probably ask you again closer. ESPN said 34. 41. Woo! That's higher than I would go. I'm going to say about 38 and a half. Yeah. Here's my thing is I still look at – like we talked about earlier, so many things went badly for them last year, and they still won 33. Like it takes so little for them to jump to 40. Yeah. And there's a possibility they went 30, which is I can see in a very solid situation – a safe answer is like to me is like thirty eight. Okay, so I'm, yeah, yeah, that's like a safe answer. But you're going forty one. But I'm going forty one. I like They're it. Going to be a five hundred team next year. Do they make a trade during the season next yes, year? Yes, they will make a big a trade. one. Uh, it will be a notable one. There's no trade that they can make that isn't no, that isn't a big one. Like think about it. Like who on roster who could they, could they deal that would be a non? Jameer Nelson, Darrell Arthur. If they trade, that's a big deal. If they trade Darrell, if they trade, I mean, okay, here's the problem: is like if they trade Darrell Arthur, no one would blink. No one never would blink. No one across the league would blink. I would be. Having an epilepsy because that would be like they just trade their best defender. Like that, he is unquestionably their best defender. That he is the rock of everything that they do defensively. And it took Malone about a month to figure it out versus Brian Shaw, who never realized that. You're preaching to the choir, though. So with Darrell, if they trade him, the only way that they're going to trade him is for an upgrade. Here's the thing: they will not make a trade that is not that isn't for an upgrade. They may be an wrong. immediate upgrade. You're saying they, yeah, they they may be thinking it is not. They may be wrong in their assessment. But it'll be substantial enough, and the part of that comes with it is the only way I can see them it not being an upgrade, um, and yet them doing it is if it's a name. 
So if it's a name, oh. then it's then, but then it's a big trade. I also think that that eventually they will bail on Kenneth Farid, and any deal that they make for Kenneth Farid, even if it doesn't net what they want, will be substantial. It'll will be that will that happen before February's deadline? Yes. Okay. Um, who wins Rookie of the Year next year? Ugh. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think who I saw that I was really impressed with. I mean, I think Brandon Ingram looked like a guy that's not going to win Rookie of the Year next yeah, year. Yeah, it's going to be Simmons. It's going to be Simmons pretty easily. I was impressed with him, actually. Um, I went in, and it's an interesting part of the process. Like, I'm not a professional scout, but I spent so much time analyzing skills, right? Like, how can he do this? What can he do? Factoring in all the culture issues and attitude. And then, like, I watched him in Summer League, and I was like, Ben Simmons looks like a dude that's just like, no, I'm better than you. Get out of my way. I'm taking over. And Brandon Ingram looked like a dude that was like, hey, I'm just going to come out here and find some shots. And yeah, for sure. That That's a huge gap. Now, no, there's no scenario I can see where Ben Simmons doesn't win. Right? Really? I can't. Well, well, well I will, Chris Dunn is the only is the only player that could screw with that. Yeah, I think he, he's such a tough dude. He's going to be fun to watch. What about uh, – can, can – you're going to get so mad and walk out on this. Can Joel Embiid win it, win it next year? Yes. Just, he qualifies for it. Yes. Okay. Joel Embiid could definitely win it next year. That okay. is actually a very realistic possibility. If 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 Joel – you're going to – I know that you're kind of expecting the opposite. And the, the, the actual – the truth is no. I've always said this. The comparisons to Elijah Wan, who Elijah yeah. Wan is a top three all-time player for me personally. Oh, I'm saying – they're legit. Like, those comparisons were very real. Yeah. So if Embiid is healthy, I think he is definitively better than Ben Simmons. There is no question he's better than Ben Simmons. And he is light years beyond any other player in this draft. The only t- – like, he is a player that could have actually competed with Carl Anthony Towns last year. That's mm. how good he is. I want to see him defensive – like, his defensive versatility. But, I I, but he's s- so overpowering. He's I want to see him do anything. That's yeah, true. <laughs> Who wins the MVP next year? Oh, God. Who's in the running for well, MVP I next Harden year? Last year, and that didn't go great. Right. <laughs> uh, I want to be for, safe. I'll be safe. I'll just say stuff. No, that can't happen, can it? Sure. This is the the LeBron twenty eleven thing, isn't it? Where he's just completely erased from the ballot. No, they won't hate him. They won't hate him. It's not that they'll hate him. They'll just say this team won seventy three last year. What do they have to win this year for them to to say it's Steph again? Yeah, and his and his shots are going to go down. For me, it's for me. I could see Paul George. George. I knew you were gonna say Paul George. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say it. I had that thought earlier. Here's the problem: is if you look so up, good, but he's look, so good. Go look up right now. Paul George's shooting numbers. They're pretty bad. Go look from up. last year. Well, I'm, on, I'm on I'll, here. What will, do, you can you can. I will pontificate while you say that. <laughs> um, Harden's not a bad choice, just because if they wind up winning, then his numbers are going to be astronomical. His just his numbers are going to be absolutely absurd. Um, in, Who's that? In, Harden? In, yeah, in D'Antoni's system. But I just think his defense is always going to be too big of a knock on him for him to justify. Um, Paul George, thirty-seven percent uh, from three last year. That's not bad from the field. From the uh, from three point line and from the field, forty forty-eight percent, forty-five percent. Sorry, forty-five percent. Yeah. Um, also, if you look at the splits. What do you want me to look at here? Everything after basically December. Oh, I see. Okay, he went. Yeah, he went way down. He okay, was, he was straight up bad the last <laughs> three months of the season. Like it was not good. Yeah. Well. Um. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but the, look, I mean, a lot of it's gonna be under Nate in under Nate McMillan's system. Is he gonna be afforded the same kind of opportunities? What? How will that look? We don't really know yet. Like, there's a lot of questions there. Um. Paul's not a bad answer. DeMarcus isn't a bad answer. You just keep thinking eventually the Kings are going to throw enough crap at the wall that's going to work sometime. Um, it's not going to be DeMarcus. I don't think uh, this it's going to be. Um, LeBron's not a bad answer. 
Yeah. He's still going to be good. It's kind of I think it's open next year more than maybe maybe it usually is. Westbrook's obviously another candidate if he stays in Oklahoma City. KD put might up. be an easy answer. Except for I just feel like it's going to be one year where KD and Curry have to do, I mean they really have to be amazing mm-hmm. to get to get that. But what if they are? But what if they I mean as as likely as it is that they're both putting up these great shooting numbers is they're also likely that they're not going to play any fourth quarter for the entire season and they're going to average 18 points a game yeah, each. That's true. So I don't know. All right, last one for you. Um, are we going to have a lockout next year? <laughs> Again, I, I would have told you no before July 4th. I, I'm so with you on that. Uh, I, Based off of what I know, the answer is no. Because they're so far along in talks that I think the league in particular – will say, you know, Silver's in charge, and Silver's going to be like, look, I understand the Durant thing was unfortunate. We're already so far along. We can't overreact to one freak occurrence. Right. We definitely know next time that we have to negotiate uh, a smoothing of the cap. Right. Like, that was our lesson. Is yeah. Next time that we get this money, we're going to have to smooth it. Right. If we smooth it, it's fine. But do we really want to lose all this momentum, which has made us all so much money and has made your property – twice as valuable as it was you're now six billion dollar teams do we really want to risk harming that over a franchise tag a hard cap etc now which by the way i think is the dumbest idea uh, i will say i agree with you but i will say that this is one issue that people need to be aware of um in 2011 you still had a standing of the old guard and what it was was there was peter holt Taylor in Minnesota and Jerry Buss in Los Angeles. And with Jerry Buss came several teams, including the Clippers, because Donald Sterling was brought into the league by Jerry Buss. Mm. Um, So whatever Jerry Buss said, the Clippers would go with. That is no longer the case because Jerry Buss has passed away. The Busses are not – like Jeannie is a voice in the league, but she is not a leader because she's younger. Um Steve Ballmer is now in charge of the Clippers and will vote however he sees fit. Um, a lot more independent A lot thinkers, more independent. Yeah. And you have, on the other side of this, the biggest problems in the 2011 lockout were caused by new ownership groups that were based mostly off of uh, venture capitalist investors and other tech kind of concepts. And a lot of those guys are more in control. Right. Now, luckily, one of the big names of those is Joe Lacob, and he's obviously going to be like, we should just have more <laughs> spending. Um, I should be able to afford LeBron, too. <laughs> Yeah. Um, light years ahead, but uh, you're, I think you're going to see teams. There are also any team that, that features a hockey team. Yeah, they're likely going to vote for a lockout in regards to they're going to want to push for either a hard cap or a franchise tag Ugh. because they've seen in hockey what a hard cap can do for them financially, and they're always going to believe that that like that's what they learned is that they can just exacerbate profit margins by keeping those kind of salaries down. I don't think the BRI will be as much of a dispute. I think that they're they're within range of what they want. Um, I think that they're and they're just making so much hand over fist. But I think that there are the other thing is also is like I don't know what the, the players' priorities are at this point. I'm not. I think they want they want more money. That's what they always want. But like the players need to be saying things like, "Hey, we'll give you the uh, like." They should look at it from a bigger picture perspective in terms of, "Hey, we'll give you the." Um, age limit but you gotta give us oh. but you gotta completely give us the d-league 
I'm so against all of these things. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm probably just biased, but I'm so against all of those the franchise tag, age limits, these type of things. And well, this is the, and this has been written about elsewhere. Um, I forget who kind of touched on it, but the biggest concern is going to be the executive committee is almost entirely made up of stars now. Like right. It's, it's, yeah. it's Roger Mason is no longer there. Yeah. Derek Fisher is no longer there. The role players have very little say. And Chris the, Paul, Chris LeBron. Paul, LeBron, Carmelo, yeah. Kevin Durant. Um, if yeah, and their interests are a lot different than everybody else's. If the owners throw out an offer that says, "Hey, um, we want to eliminate the mid-level exceptions. We want to eliminate um, these other things. We want to eliminate." And we're, we want to instill a franchise tag, but we're willing to eliminate max contracts. Oh, gosh, the league gets like 20% worse. But, yeah, those guys, those f- 10 guys make a lot more money. Those guys make Double. a lot more money. And the problem then is also, like, you tell players, like, hey, like, like you tell the – not even the star, the, the, the elites, but, like, what if you tell – like, DeAndre Jordan. If you're right. DeAndre Jordan and you're like, look, man – what would you make on in the open market as like one of the top five best centers in the league? Like, what would you make on that market coming into your prime? Yeah, this gets very tricky. So i i I tend to think with how Silver has approached this one because Silver was the bulldog in 2011. People right. don't know that, but he was the guy that I think everybody knows. He that. was the guy that was like really hardcore. Like he was the bad bad cop to David Stern's good. Uh, I think in this one he is really very much focused on like, look, we got the gains that we wanted. You wanted the BRI cut, we got it. Right. Like we wanted all these changes, we got it. Let's not overreact to one warrior situation. Well, one last thing: Do you think the playoffs will affect whether there's a lockout or not? I mean, if the playoffs are a four-four-four-four, yeah. Mm. If, if the owners do not feel that they can compete in the NBA. They are going to change things to where they can compete. And that's where it gets very fascinating because then you have a situation where if you say – if they design some sort of mechanism that says unless you break up this team, you can't re-sign Steph. <laughs> right. Like, right. Clay Thompson's going somewhere else. That's right. the end of it. Uh, well, we'll see. It'll be fascinating. I think next year will be a fascinating year. There's a lot of fun stuff. Even though, the, even if the Warriors just blow through everyone else, the other 29 teams, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I agree. Matt, thanks a lot so much for coming on. Really fun talking with you. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Pickaxe Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.